Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chia Dogu, and I'm the co-founder and COO of Odogu Media Group. Odogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today on the show with me is Walt Rakowicz. Walt is a leadership speaker, thought leader, and the former chief executive officer of ProLogis, a global real estate company. He assumed the role of CEO in 2008, which we all know was a very tumultuous time in the world with the Great Recession. When he assumed the role of CEO, the company was at a very challenging point in his history, and he helped rescue the company from the brink of bankruptcy. So he will talk a little bit about that story. He sits on the boards of several nonprofit organizations, and he is the author of the new book titled Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climate of Change. I'm pleased to have Walt on the show today to tell us a little bit more about his life story, his background, his experiences leading in a very challenging period and what we as leaders need to know about leading now and transforming our own leadership skills so that we can succeed and thrive in this very challenging climate that we found ourselves due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So with that said, Walt, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Chi. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Awesome. Awesome, Walt. So, Walt, I said a little bit about your background, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and give us your origin backstory, if you will. Sure. I I would say that um, my leadership journey has been molded by so many things, not the least of which was my upbringing. I hit the parent lottery. I really did. I was really one of the fortunate ones. You know, we didn't really have a lot of financial wealth, my family, but there was always a tremendous wealth of love and support. Um, I had great, really great parents. And, you know, they were they were hardworking. And the most important thing is that they appreciated people for who they were, not what they had, not what their positions were. And, you know, I look back on that and I, I think that really had a great impact on my leadership philosophy, if you will, just my upbringing. And, and frankly, I had plenty of challenges throughout my career rising to the top. But the truth of the matter is that, as you said, you know, my crucible moment my real experience in leadership, the thing that really inspired me to write the book was my experience during the financial crisis. And so I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time talking about that. So during that time, as you mentioned, I worked for Prologis and and for your your listeners, so you know, you know, it's interesting, most companies that warehouse their products actually don't own the buildings that they're in. They yeah. lease something like 80% of all companies lease their buildings. They oh, don't. wow. Yeah, and in, the, in the United States, correct? And, yeah, but but actually, and probably globally, it's still much oh, okay. bigger than percent. Yeah. Oh wow! And okay. so you have institutions that own these buildings and lease these buildings to companies, to major companies throughout the world. And Prologis is the largest company that does that. Basically, mm. the largest owner of industrial real estate warehouses throughout the world. And just to put things into context, they own. Today, somewhere in the neighborhood of, if you added it all up, the square footage would be about 
15 to 16,000 football fields, U.S. football oh, wow. space. If you think about that much, it's almost a billion square feet of space. Oh, wow. That's quite over $100 billion. So it's a lot of money. And they're large company, Fortune 500, New York Stock Exchange company. So I had risen through the ranks, you know, the company from regional vice president, chief financial officer, president, chief operating officer. And at that point in time, 2007, 2008, I was the number two person in the company. The CEO of the company, my, basically my boss, was brilliant. I mean, really one of the most brilliant people I ever met. But he had narcissistic tendencies. He believed that everything that he thought was right was right. <laughs> he listened to very few people, paid little attention to what they had to say. And the truth be known that when he didn't get his way, oftentimes he would withhold the truth, lie. And um, it was a very, very difficult situation. We found ourselves operating in silos out of fear for what we were going to say. And I just didn't enjoy working there. And so I went to the board of directors and I went to the CEO and I said, look, you know, it's just not working out. I think it's time for me to leave. And so I left the company in January 2008 as the number two person. At that point in time, our stock was at about $70 a share, which equated to a financial and equity market cap of about 20 to $22 billion. Okay? Nice. That was the net worth of the company, if you will. That was in January. By November of 2008, fast forward basically 10 months. So before we get to what happened in November, now let's talk a little bit about what you just mentioned. You said the CEO had narcissistic tendencies. Yeah. Now I want to find out because the prototype we've been given of a typical CEO is someone who, you know, is a go-getter. Some would say they're yeah. social sociopaths or they also have narcissistic tendencies. Now, is that from what we've seen in movies, TV, and what we heard, some TV shows and in the news, is that a typical characteristic of a typical CEO? And if it's not, why is it that a lot of CEOs or people that rise to the highest ranks of leadership tend to always veer towards that kind of character? Well, I don't think it's the characteristic of a successful CEO, let's put it that okay. way. You know, I think you're bringing up a great point, Chi. I, I do think that sometimes when you get in that role, you begin to think that you have to be right. By the way, why, why would you be wrong? Because you've been promoted into that position, right? And I think sometimes, and I, and I can talk a little bit about this, I talk a lot about the two main problems that leaders have, and that is pride and fear. You know, and, and they're, you become more ego driven, driven by your pride and frankly, driven by your fears as well. And so that you do things, you isolate people. Sometimes you isolate yourself. Perhaps you delegate less because you fear what other people might think. If mm -hmm. you And so, yes, you do tend to see this. Now, do I think it's something that is characteristic of all CEOs? Absolutely not. Okay. But you're right. And and by the way, I think I think many of the old CEOs, let's say in the 90s and the 80s, were much more command and control oriented. Mm -hmm. And the book really is about the fact that the world is changing. I True. mean, people don't like working for those types of people anymore. And it really has to change. It's a much more humanistic model today. And so I struggled with that. I just didn't want to be a part of it. Okay. It's very interesting because it manifests itself in this in the mistakes that we were making. We were operating in silos in the organization. People were not communicating. Investment decisions were being made by certain factions of the company, but not necessarily approved by other factions of the company. Uh -huh. and 
we had this dysfunction that was beginning to operate. And boy, that's tough to be part of it. And so when I went to the board, I said, look, I don't know when this train wreck is going to ultimately, you know, hit the wall. But I can tell you one thing. I, I don't think the company's heading in the right direction. Mm. Literally, I know in 2008 that it would get so bad so fast because the entire market cratered yeah. and that just exacerbated all of the problems that we had and made them worse. Yeah. So not because of like, like you rightly mentioned, when times are good, you can actually go through good times with those internal dysfunctions. But when times are bad, it becomes more magnified because those internal problems are magnified by external pressure. And then you cannot, then you see that your teams cannot work together. The company is actually in a mess. And then that starts to spill over. People start to see like when the tide goes out, everybody sees who's swimming without pants and it's that type of a deal, correct? I cannot agree with you more. In good times, it's fine. But in bad times, when the tide goes out, all of your mistakes are exposed. And that is exactly what happened. Because Mm. when you look at the S&P 500 in 2008, I believe it was down something like 38 or 39%, which was Uh carnage, let's face it. Yeah. Prologis' stock was down 96%. Okay. We were the third worst performing stock in the S&P 500 between January and November. And the, the Wall Street Journal did an article about how the company was going bankrupt. I mean, it was really ugly. And the board, in their wisdom, did take care of the matter and let go of the CEO and called me up um, in advance of that and said, if we do let go of the CEO, will you come back and will you run the company? And I have to tell you, I, I struggled with it at first because I knew it would take a Herculean effort to, to get it done. But then I thought about all the people that I had hired and the fact I had been there for 15 years prior to that and really a part of trying to build the company. And I knew where a lot of the warts were as opposed to bringing someone in from the outside, which would have been much more difficult for them. And, and so I did it. I took over. And, you know, the one thing I found when I got back is that our people just lacked a lot of confidence. They lacked confidence mm. in the company. They lacked confidence in leadership. It was a crucible moment for me. So let's talk about that crucible moment. It's sometime around winter, December 8th or so. The news comes out in the Wall Street Journal. You're on the front page. You know, your stock has created 96%, like you just said. You get a lot of calls over the course of the day. Creditors, investors, politicians, analysts, what have you. You know, it's it's, it's a literal storm that's coming at you that day. You manage through the day get to your team, you're working with them, and then they drop the bombshell that, hey, hey, Walt, we're like two, three months away from actually filing for Chapter 11. You take a break, all of a sudden, boom, your face is covered in blood, Mm -hmm. you're waking up from passing out, Mm -hmm. and you have to go back into the room to sit down and talk to your team. Now, tell me, what goes through your mind at that moment when you're trying to stop the blood from pouring down your head, you've been told that you're two months away from bankruptcy, Mm -hmm. your team is there huddled looking to you for leadership and everybody's like, all right, guy, we're here for you, man, tell us what to do. What goes on through your mind and then how do you navigate that whole situation? There's two words that went through my mind, oh crap. (laughs) <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. Thank you for 
taken me through that. That was really one of the most difficult nights of my life. And I walked back into the room. I, I told everybody when they told me that it, that we were going bankrupt, I, I just turned white as a ghost. Mm. And I, I, I asked if I could have 10 minutes just to walk around and catch my breath. And they said, sure. And unfortunately, as you, as you just mentioned, I, I took a fall and I hit the corner of a desk in my fall. And in doing so, I split my head open. Well, it took me, well, first of all, I didn't wake up for, I don't know, maybe five, 10 minutes. I was just past yeah. that. And then when I did wake up, I thought, oh my gosh, I got 10 people waiting for me in the room. Now what? Yeah. I walked back in the room and I said, um, well, let's get talking about this bankruptcy issue. And my chief financial officer looked at my head and he said, Walt, before we get talking about that, what happened to your head? Mm. And, um, I, you know, I was just totally exposed. I didn't know what to say. And so what I said was, first of all, I fainted. What you all told me was maybe the difficult, most difficult thing I've ever heard. And my problem is I don't have the answers. Mm. The biggest problem is I was hired to have the answers. I'm the CEO of the company and CEOs are supposed to have the answer, but I don't. Mm. And so I need your help. And you know what, Chi, what I found was sometimes, not all times, but sometimes vulnerability can be really powerful because it's, it's the ultimate manifestation of honesty. You know, you've got your, you're completely bare. You're totally exposed. What do I do? And you know, what's interesting was the outcrying of, of support was unbelievable. Everybody in that room said, you know what, well, we're feeling it too. But maybe give us some time. Let's think about this. Maybe we can come up with some answers. And that's what happened. And that made me realize that leadership is not about you. Mm, It's not about the man at the top. Right. Leaders, the best leaders are the ones that don't think they have all the right answers. As a matter of fact, Mm. they know they don't have the right answers. Mm. But they look around in the crowd and they realize that's where the answers are. Mm. And all I have to do, my job is to lift up, empower, and point them in the right direction Mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm being transparent and honest with them, right? That I've got a trusting relationship with them. Because if they think that I trust them and they trust me, we'll figure out the right answers. Mm -hmm. And that's what I figured. And so it was really interesting because it took some time. It took several weeks before we really had a strategy in place. And the strategy turned out that we would sell our China operation. We would generate a billion and a half dollars of cash by doing that. We sold half of our Japan operation. We sold some buildings in Europe and it took us some time. But as it turned out, we were able to pay down debt and we were able to deal with our creditors in a stronger way because we used cash. We talked with our cash because we had sold certain things and it really strengthened our argument. But I didn't have that answer. My financial team came up with that answer. And I think it was a lot about vulnerability. It was, you know, establishing that that air of honesty that they could see in me and I could see in them. And we began to work together in ways that that I don't think the previous management team, the previous CEO had done. Now, let's tie that into probably the greatest economic disaster that we've faced 
since the Great Depression, which is what we're all currently facing now with the COVID-19 economic wow. crisis, health crisis. You know, it's something no leader in history, well, in living history right now has lived through. We yeah. don't know what's going on. A lot of companies around the globe are shutting down, going bankrupt every day. I, I haven't looked at the um, stock exchanges recently, but, you know, it's really bad for a lot of companies out there. There are lots of bankruptcies that are coming down the pikes. Small businesses are are kind of confused and closing all over the place. In yeah. terms of the lessons you learned that helped you write this book, Transfluence, what is, like, some of the things leaders are currently facing right now? What are some of the things they're facing right now? And then from your expertise, your perspective and your knowledge and wisdom, having gone through such a similar-ish experience, yeah. how can they start to you know, bring the team together to start trying to forge a new path, to strive to salvage something and survive out of this crisis? Because we don't even know how it's going to play out in the next six months. I hope I've been um, eloquent enough to give you a, wow. a reasonable question. Huh? That's a great question. And I would say this, first of all, I think this is one of the toughest tests for managers that I've ever seen. I think it's actually tougher than the, the financial crisis in some respects because in the financial crisis, it was about finance to a certain degree. It was about over leverage. Mm. And if we could solve that, we could get through it. But this is mm. different because there's a social aspect to this that I don't think it existed, but not nearly as bad as it is today. I mean, you know, yeah. not only are people working remotely, but they don't know how to cope with the challenges in their personal lives, their kids, their parents that they're worried are going to get it, you know, mm -hmm. And they got to balance all that with their jobs. They got to work out of their house. I think, you know, they're, and frankly, I've just seen real emotional issues on um, this whole. I sit on the board of directors of three companies and, and all three of them are dealing with them. And so here's what I would say. I don't think there's an easy solution, but I think there's certain things that a leader can do. They need to be cognizant of. I think first and foremost, they need to manage with a heart. Okay. I write a lot about heart in my book. And, and the importance of it. I think leaders have to ask questions and listen today mm. before they act. I don't think they should expect people to come to them. I think they should be mm. uh, to other people, meet them where they are. And I think they need to do it with empathy and they need to be doing it with flexibility because th those two things matter in this environment because people are all over the map in terms of their emotions. Second thing is I think leaders need to delegate and recognize today. And there's a lot going on. I mean, I'm on Zoom calls and there are dogs barking, there are babies crying in the background. There's, you know, early Zoom calls at 6 a.m. You know, mm. I mean, there's nine o'clock people, people are working at nine o'clock, you know. People need to know that they have the freedom to do other things than just be mm. on. And I think leaders need to empower them and recognize them and not micromanage them nearly as much as they have done in the past, because mm. there are all of these other things, you know, going on. And I like to say that I think leaders need to lead like conductors, not like soloists. The leaders aren't the performers. The leaders are there to encourage, lift up, you know, give credit, empower. And the more that they do that, I think the better they make their employees feel today. And as I said, it's not about you. It's about the people that you manage. 
The other thing, Chi, is that I think communication is so critical today. And I think especially in terms of managing perception. So one of the things I found at Prologis is that you need to communicate over and over and over with the same simple message. And more difficult when people are spread out as much as they, they are remotely. So they need to do that. I think another thing is how you respond. And for example, responding to email, sometimes I think the more responsive you are as a manager, the better. Sometimes people wonder when they don't get an email for two or three days, what you really think, because they don't see you in the office day to day. They They can't ask you, you know, I also think silence is really, really deafening today. I think if, if leaders are silent about issues, people tend to wonder, well, what are they really thinking? Are they dealing with the elephant in the room? You know, aren't they dealing with the elephant in the room? What do they really think of of me because they're being silent about this issue? So the more that you communicate, the more open you are, and the more that you reach out today, I think the better. And then I'll just end by saying this. I think that sometimes people need outside help. I I think there are emotional issues that leaders just can't even imagine today. And Sometimes leaders aren't the best people equipped to do it. And many of the companies that I'm on the board of on now, they're are, are really focusing on the mental health issues. You know, they're mm. offering outside counseling for people and not all, not every business can afford it, but mm-hmm. many businesses actually can. And I think now's the time to be able to offer that to your employees, because there's just some things that leaders can't focus, you know, they just, they're not equipped to know. And I think that's that's the extent of where we are today. So those are just some practical things that I that I would suggest to leaders. But but I would I would end by saying this that I'm not trying to make it sound like there's one easy solution. One, yeah, for sure. For this sure. This is really tough stuff. For sure. I agree with you. Now you mentioned something about they need to communicate better. And from everything I've been reading since this whole crisis started is and you just alluded to that a little bit, is that you know, people are zoomed out, you know. Um, no, nobody wants to take another Zoom meeting, whether it's on Zoom, Microsoft Teams. It's kind of like different names for doing the same thing. How can one communicate better? What What would it take a leader to do? Is it something like maybe, hey, record myself on video and send an email out? Maybe it's a one-minute email, video, or five-minute, or hey, sending a, a personal email or a handwritten note just to, just to help encourage that openness and that communication because I think the telling people to communicate better and communicate more would tell some managers, okay, let's schedule more Zoom meetings to communicate more, you know? (laughs) People are just, people are just zoomed out. I, you know, I'm going to turn that around and I'm going to say something a little bit different than maybe you're not expecting. Instead of communicating, I think leaders need to be more human about things. And I think they should be encouraging people to take off. And here's the problem I see. And it's funny, I was on a board call last night and I heard the same thing. What I see is actually people's productivity has gone like this. It's gone straight up because Mm. they get up in the morning. Because you think about it, you used to have to drive into work and then drive back from work, or perhaps you got on a plane and, you know, Yes, you were doing emails, but you were doing other things. You're walking through airports, whatever it might be. Now, today, you get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, and boom, you're on a Zoom call, and you're on Zoom calls until 7 o'clock. Actually, it's interestingly enough, the productivity is out the roof in many yeah. companies. More productive yeah. than they used to be, on one hand. 
Well, what does that mean? That just means that people are getting to burnout so much faster. Quicker, faster. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know about you, but six o'clock, seven o'clock comes around in the evening and I am tired right now. Yeah. And I think the best thing that leaders should do is say, you know what? Here's the thing. When you went on vacation in the past, we all expected that you be reading every email every day anyway. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. nobody does a vacation any, anymore without reading emails during the day, right? This time, I want you to take a week off or we can have 10 days off and I don't want you to open a doggone thing up, period. Mm. We'll take care of it, okay? But encourage people to have time off. That's critically important. And I heard it on this board call last night. The managers of this, this company I'm on the board of said, you know, we need to be encouraging our people to relax more because mm. they, they need it. And that's how I think, I think we should be communicating today in that humanistic way, mm-hmm. empathetic way, understanding what everybody's going through and giving them a break. Great. So would you say that everything you've talked about in the last 10, 15 minutes is kind of like the core essence of transformational influence or, you know, let's define transformational influence and what you mean and so that we can now bookend everything you've said to the definition and what people should expect from looking at this perspective. First of all, let me define it. I think that's a way to go. And then I'll talk a little bit more about it in detail. So okay, the word transfluence stands for transformational influence. Mm-hmm. And the premise is that Leaders have a lot to focus on, but the most important thing the leader can do is recognize the fact that your number one job is to make a transformational influence in the lives of those you lead. That's your legacy. That's what you that's what you leave behind. In my case, you know, my objective was turn around the company. But I realized over time that what I was really there to do was to make an influence on people, change people. And actually make them better. And if I made them better, if I lifted them up, we would ultimately turn the the company around. And we thought about this word transfluence because we were sort of thinking, well, transformational influence. And in in some respects, the word, you can look up the word transfluence in the dictionary, okay? Or Uh transfluent, I should say. And it means a river running through. Mm. It might have to do with transfluence, but actually I think it's interesting. Transfluence actually flows from the heart of a leader, just like Mm. water flow through a river. And um, so what is it all about? What is it all about? I I think it's a couple things. I think, number one, the leaders that do transfluence, first and foremost, have to overcome their own fears and pride. I think it's the two greatest challenges that a leader has. And the reason I say that is because the more a leader is prideful, the more a leader fears the more the world becomes all about them. And if you want to, to, to narcissistic thinking, you got it. You want to establish trust in your organization. You got to get out of that mindset. Mm. And there are ways of doing that, but that's the first thing. The second thing is transparency. We live in a world that is much more transparent today than ever. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the world expects leaders to be open and transparent as well. It's just an expectation. And if mm-hmm. you're not, if you lead in a command and control way, forget it. I think the third thing is leaders have to lead with a strong core set of values. They need to know what is what it is, is it that's valuable to me mm. and how do I want the organization to act? I had a long conversation many years ago with John Mack, who was the CEO of Morgan Stanley. He became a mentor of mine and, and helped me think through that. 
And I think the three strongest words to me that all start with an H, humility, honesty, and humanness, leading, leading with a heart. And that became my strong core set of values and how I tried to influence other people. And then I think last but not least, everybody in their job today, everybody in their lives are looking for meaning and purpose. They mm-hmm. go to work today. I didn't look many years ago, my job in the 70s and 80s was all transactional, man. I didn't think mm-hmm. about meaning and purpose. I got a paycheck, I did the job, and they pay, you know, and I did the job that they wanted me to do. That's different mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. The next generation looks at it and said, says, walks in and says, what are we doing? And yeah. why are we doing it? How does that how does that have meaning? And how does my job relate to that? And mm-hmm. I think the leader's job to in essence help people connect the dots. So getting out of your own way, if you will, not leading with fear and pride, leading transparently, openly, leading with a core set of values that have a lot to do with empathy and, and how you think about other people. And ultimately helping people connect the dots, helping people connect the dots as to what meaning and purpose they have in their jobs. That's transfluent leadership in my mind. That's when you take your leadership out of your own sphere and put it into, how can I influence other people? Now, the way you've just mentioned and explained all this, it ties back to kind of like, is it the first of the open, of the second chapter in the book, which talks about the wellspring of the, um, I forget the term, Maccabeans or Ma- Ma- Oh, the microbian? Yeah, yeah, microbian, yeah, yeah. yeah. The microbian wellspring. So what is it? <laughs> so what, what you're saying is essentially that for a transformational or transformative leader, so to speak, yeah. to actually change the organization dynamically, they kind of have to have these core values characteristics and attributes flowing from their heart. So that means they themselves have to start working on their beliefs, their mindset, their principles, their worldviews, so that the more they put in and change the way they think, the way they operate, the way they see the world, the more they can actually give out to influence their teams, the more that also helps the organization transform itself. Absolutely. And I truly believe that culture Starts from the culture, top. Culture, culture, yes. Starts from the top. It starts from the heart of a leader. And don't get me wrong; it takes a long time to influence it. But if the leader is right, and then leadership emanates from that leader, and they become right, the whole organization does too. And that's what that's what I found. And I I truly believe that that wellspring that you talk about, if it comes from a leader's heart. And it is about who that person is leading and not about the person themselves. People recognize that. Mm-hmm. And they want to work for people like that. And they trust yeah. people like that. And, uh, and that word trust, I think, is so important because without, so crucial. Yeah. without trust as a leader, you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. With trust, you can make anything happen. So now one of my, I guess... As we start to wind down the show, my second to the last point is you talked a little bit about transparency as one of the core values, but in recent times, transparency has always been bandied around. It's kind of like a buzzword in in the corporate environment. You know, yeah, we need to be more transparent. Leaders come out, oh, we need to be more transparent, transparent organization. But it seems like on when you go into a company, at the lower end of the management structure, 
yes, we hear about transparency and leadership, but we don't see it. So, so take, for example, some teams talk about, hey, you know what, we need to know more about how are we actually getting compensated and paid for our services or how is this person getting promoted versus this person? And majority of those decisions are done in a black box. But mm. then leaders come out and say, oh, we're transparent about this and that. And there's yeah. a big disconnect between top level and like middle management and um, lower tier management, so entry level people, so to speak. So how can that gap close to increased trust? Because that's also a very big challenge now that we have more remote distributed teams all over the place where you can't actually get that, you know, in-person feel and vibe to, to actually know, okay, this person telling me something, but what's their body language saying? Yeah, you know, it's a, that's tough. And, and like you said, I think it's even more difficult today because we have a distributed workforce. I can really try to address what, what I did. I mean, we were not an employee-intensive company, but we still had a couple thousand employees throughout the world. Mm. And um, I probably, if I think about it, I probably spent at least 50% of my time all over the world sitting down in front of people because this is what the CEO's job is, is sit down and you know, in brown bag lunches and say, I just want you to ask me anything, mm. anything that's on your mind. And I don't want you to think your job's at risk, but mm. anything, anything's open. And by the way, if I don't have an answer, I'll tell you. And I think the more leadership can do, and it doesn't have to just be the CEO. The CEO is not the only leader in the company, yeah. but to the extent that you can, you can get people into that mode where there's nothing off limits, nothing. Mm. You know, you may not like the answer, but the answer is this, but at least you can ask it, that you feel comfortable mm -hmm. asking it, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're not given the answer that you want, the fact that you can ask it and somebody can be honest and come back and say, this isn't what you want to hear, but this is the reality, mm -hmm. I think all of a sudden begins to establish trust. And the only way you can do that is to get in front of people, which is why COVID is making things so much more difficult today because you got to do it over a Zoom call. You know? yeah. And so I hope we can get back to the to the time when leadership can really go out, build relationships in the company, build endearing relationships and know that people feel good about asking them whatever they can ask them. And I think that's just about the heart of a leader. Yeah. I, I really do. And just getting out there and, and not being afraid to tell people things that oh. they may not want to hear. Awesome, awesome. And I guess um, as we've reached the end of the interview, Walt, it's really been a pleasure learning from you and learning from your book. But before I let you go, give us some parting words of wisdom that someone listening to this podcast, maybe they're in middle management, they haven't gotten to that top tier role, but they're saying, hey, man, you know, it's my dream to one day lead an organization, whether it's a yeah. small, mid-sized or even large corporation like you did, you know, how can I start improving myself to be better? What can I start implementing now, regardless of what's going on in the world and in the environment that we live in? What are some few things I can start doing to show, hey, I have leadership characteristics, I can be a transformational leader, and then I can start, um, I don't want to say positioning myself, but I think that's the best word, to start like transitioning more towards, okay, somebody that is ready to climb up the ranks. So, first of all, I'm a big believer in personal boards of directors. I'm a big believer in accountability groups. I'm a big believer in coaching. Let me, can I tell you a quick story about coaching? Sure. Yes, feel free. Well, you know, and this is when I was CEO. 
But I, I hired a coach to come in and coach our entire management team. And this person came in and they, you know, they did um, all these 360 degree evaluations of each one of us where 20 people would tell us how we're doing. And, and we did personality testing. And I think all of that is really, really good. And having mm-hmm. some sit down with you and say, this is what I think your strengths are. And this is what your weaknesses are. I think mm-hmm. it's important. So I, I, I'd answer that question first by saying leaders should ask. Okay. Leadership okay. at other people. Um, so this coach sits down with me and he's, and he says, um, Hey, well, you know, the good news is every, you know, a lot of, a lot of your people really like working for you. So that's mm. great. He said, but let me tell you the bad news. He said, the bad news is your empathy scores are not all that good. I said, what? Are you kidding me? It was like putting a dagger in my heart. I said, what do you mean? My empathy score? I care about people, right? <laughs> He said, but no, he said, you know, here's the problem. A lot of your direct reports are telling me that you run around like a chicken with your head cut off. And he said, you kind of fear not getting your job done during the day. That's your fear, you know, Mm. and it builds up. And by the way, it's hurting your relationships because people don't want to walk in your office and they don't want to tell you things because they're too worried that you're too busy to deal with them. Not that... Mm. Get in there, they're good with it. I mean, if they get in there, it's sort of like, you know, you treat them with dignity and all that stuff, but they just don't want to bother you because they're not sure how busy you are, you know? Mm. I thought to myself, wow. And you know what? You need somebody else to be looking at you. You need to be open to what other people have to say about you. And I think it starts with asking. Now, you may not be able to afford a coach. I don't know. But Go talk to your employer about getting a 360 degree evaluation, right? Because uh-huh. you talk to 20 people around you, they're going to probably tell you the good and the bad. And I just think that the more we learn about ourselves, the better leaders that we can become. Uh-huh. And I think I became a more empathetic leader because somebody told me I needed to, as opposed uh-huh. to a natural thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it kind of do more of like self-examination, figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then start working on that so that you can even be much more effective in terms of helping people that work for you or report to you. I would also say this. I think if there's any advice I'd give people, I'd say that too often we define success the wrong way in leadership. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when, you know, you think about it, we watch sports and we ask who won. Yep. We call stocks winners that have appreciated, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like winners and losers. It's almost always about the result. And I think that's the problem. I think the problem is it's not about the result only. It's about the journey. And we got to get the journey right. We got to mm. get the process in getting there right. You know, and the process in getting there involves people. And so if we can treat people with dignity and we treat people like they matter, right? Uh We'll get there anyway. We'll be winners the way that society wants us to be, but it is about the journey. And if Uh we just focus on the result and we pair up the whole journey, I think we destroy the very essence of what leadership is about. And that is changing the lives of other people, being influential in their lives. That's what I would say. If you're, if you're thinking about leadership, number one, try to figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are. Ask other people. But number two, understand that it is about the journey. It's not about the destination. Okay. Um, Now, I love how you mentioned that, but my brain just brought up another point, which is, you know what? 
everything in whether organizations is tied to like the results. So the CEO's compensation or bonus is tied to, hey, how much does the stock price appreciate? Managers, their tied their performance bonuses and whatnot. Hey, how many cases did you work on? Or how did you help our company generate revenue from last year? What's the growth rate and all that stuff? So when you say it's all about the journeys, someone listening to this will be like, it's easy for him to say he's a retired Fortune 500 CEO. <laughs> no, that is about the journey. How do I marry those two issues? I will tell you, you marry him through faith. I really believe you marry him through faith. And I'm not, I'm not talking about religious faith, although mm. some of us are, are that way. But I, I think you have to have faith along the way. Don't get me wrong. I managed every day. I was a former chief financial officer. All I thought about was results. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you do have to manage that. You have to be you've got to be cognizant of that. But you also have to know deep down inside that you can get there by treating people with dignity. You don't have to have this command and control type of attitude. You okay. can get there. You just it's just a mindset. You have to change your mindset as to how to deal with people and you'll find that you'll accomplish the same thing. Trust me. So, cool. and that's all about faith. You have to have faith in the process. Faith in the process. That's. I think that's a perfect place to um, wrap this up. So before I let you go, well, tell us a little bit more about where people can get the book, sure. where they can connect with you, social media, you're active on LinkedIn, Facebook, what have you, and um, anything else you want to share where people can reach out to you and learn more about you and what you're doing. Okay, great. So the book is pretty much available any major retailer, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. It's available in an either digital or hard copy. And then as to how you network with me, my website is, and I'll spell it for you, but it is waltrakowicz.com. Walt, W-A-L-T, and Rakowicz is R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H.com. I'm on Twitter at, at @waltrakowicz and uh, LinkedIn at Walter Rakowicz. And um, boy, I want your listeners to know how delighted I have been to be on this show. And um, I hope that some of them connect with me. I hope uh, some of this resonates with them too, Chief. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Guys, get a copy, learn more about transformative influence and how it can help you and your organization succeed and thrive in these challenging times. Walk, my friend, thanks a lot for coming to share your story to teach us about transformative influence and how we can help our business succeed and thrive in these challenging times. I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. My pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. If you like what you heard on today's episode of the show, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show and it tells me if I'm doing a good job or not and what type of guests to bring that can impart solid wisdom to help you grow on your entrepreneurial journey. Once again, you can always email me at info at odogwu.com. That's info at odogwu.com to let me know you know if you want a different type of guest or if you even want to be considered as a guest on the show so till next time guys have a great day stay bulletproof and of course i'll catch you on the next episode of the bulletproof entrepreneur podcast <laughs>